Hey, welcome to Conversations in the Paint Department. My name is Matt Bergman and I am your host. Conversations in the Paint Department is a podcast developed to take a humorous look at the personal, professional leadership lessons that I've learned from the mistakes I've made and getting a little bit of paint on my face. Subscribe on Anchor or Spotify. You can also follow me on Twitter at at MattBergman14. And if you're an educational technology fan, check out my blog called Learn, Lead, Grow at bergman-udl.blogspot.com. Now to our show. Hey, welcome to Conversations in the Paint Department. This is Matt Bergman, your host. And I know it's been a couple weeks since we last had an episode. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do that is to just sort of recharge, um, provide some, some time to reflect and look for some new ideas and new content. And one of the things that came to mind over the past few weeks is this whole idea of uh, leaders uh, that you see that just fall from grace very quickly. And one particular example was uh, Tony Shea from Zappos. I mean, Tony was an amazing leader, very introverted, but he recently died. And one of the things that we're starting to uh, see is that Tony had a lot of demons. There was a lot of great things that were going on on the outside, but he had a lot of demons that he had to deal with. And so whether you are a leader uh, of an organization, your family, a leader in the classroom as a teacher, um, maybe you have your own business, maybe you're leading a Bible study or a small group or something like that, we all have those demons that are kind of hiding in the junk drawers of our lives. It kind of reminds me of when I was in high school. Um, I went to a very affluent high school. Unfortunately, I didn't have a whole lot of money, but everybody else around me did. And I was on the uh, football team, and one of the things that we would do as seniors is every Thursday evening before a football game the next night, we would go and have dinner at one of my teammates' houses. Now, I was extremely embarrassed to have anybody come to my house because it was a very small house. We had four kids. We didn't have a whole lot of money. I was so embarrassed of what my house looked like on the outside that I didn't necessarily want anybody coming to my house. Even to this day, like I get very conscious, very self-conscious about what my house looks like. And sometimes I forget that, you know, I have two kids, two teenagers, and we have dogs and cats. And, and so it's going to be a mess at times. But one thing that I noticed at these houses was that the houses looked amazing on the outside. In fact, one of my teammates, he had a mansion. I mean, a mansion. I think they had like six bathrooms in this house. And I look at all of the things that they had and all the cool stuff. But one thing that I've noticed, maybe not in this circumstance with this particular individual, but there are a lot of people that buy some really nice houses, but they can't afford 
furniture on the inside. They have beanbag chairs and futons instead of really expensive stuff. And uh, that's one of the things that I'm noticing with a lot of affluent homes. Or maybe they have all the nice stuff, but yet the marriage between the parents is crumbling or there's, there's secrets in that household that we're stuffing in our junk drawers. I mean, we all have that need for a strong PR image. You know, we have a checklist of different things that we need to do and ways that we need to look. And so we need to booster our uh, image on self social media or um, boast about uh, relationships we have, boast about our, our you know, accomplishments. Uh, one of the things that I, I would do often, uh, especially right after college, was I would boast that, oh yeah, I was a college football player and I played college football and I did this and that. And I gave this image that I was like some amazing college quarterback that was going to go to the NFL, but I just got a bad break, you know? That wasn't the, the truth. The truth was is that I did play as a freshman in college. And in the first game that I ever played, I did get the MVP, the most valuable player of homecoming. And after that, it was a complete disaster. And uh, I eventually redshirt the very next year. And then after, the year after that, I um, was a, a third string quarterback and just fought all year to just play in one game. And uh, that was a JV game at the very end of the year that was meaningless. So yeah, that was my college football career, and yet I boasted about it. My, I, I made it look like a mansion when in fact it was, well, a shack at best. And so one of the reasons why I, I did that, I gave that false image, was because of the whole idea of uh, being scared of what other people would think. And so there's a lot of things that, that we do in that way uh, as leaders, as people, um, and the other day I was talking with somebody and they were telling me a little bit about how we as adults, we might not necessarily throw full out uh, temper tantrums like kids do, but adults throw temper tantrums. And we do it by um, just the way that we act. We do it by the grudges that we hold. We do it by um, you know, how we, we uh, you know, look down at people. We, uh, you know, it's, it's funny in traffic a lot of times if somebody cuts me off, they're the jerk. But if I cut somebody else off, um, I'm innocent and, and, you know, they're unfairly accusing me of things. And really what it comes down to in all of these circumstances, we might have the biggest mansion, but it comes down to a heart issue. And for me, I know that it comes down to a heart issue. A couple uh, months ago, I was asked to lead a, a, a meeting uh, of uh, some of my, some of my uh, peers, and I knew that my heart wasn't right. And in the past, I would have definitely ran that meeting, and I would have you know, let my ego shine, and I would have um, made it appear that I was so much better than other people by the things that I said and how intelligent I sounded. And that would only alienate me further from my peers, and it would uh, really, it would just cause a little bit of dissension and uh, arrogance on my part. So I actually, told the person that had asked me to lead the meeting, I said, nope, 
I, I said, my, my heart's just not right and I can't do it. Now, I'm not saying that because, oh, I want a pat on my back or anything like that or, oh, wow, Matt, you're like so much better. No, it was the first time in my life I realized my heart was not right. How many times do we do that? How many times do we turn something down or maybe press the brakes a little bit because our heart isn't right? In that moment, I was struggling with grudges. I wanted to um, make things right in my mind because well, there were a couple relationships there that weren't going as I would have liked. It was a connection issue. And so because of that connection issue, I wanted to uh, put up the floodlights on the mansion of my being. And yet I wanted to hide everything that was going on, all the darkness, all the isolation, all the, the really negative things going on in my life, in the um, junk drawer and closets of my life. You know, there's been a lot of publicity lately about mental health. I mean, Simone Biles, uh, in the you know gymnast Simone Biles, um, had, had dropped out of the Olympics because she needed to focus on her mental health. You know, he had a pro, a Japanese pro tennis player do the same thing. And why don't we do the same thing with our hearts? You know, if our heart isn't right, why don't we pause and take a look? Why don't we, uh, instead of, um, you know, running that meeting or instead of, uh, you know, moving forward, going 100 miles an hour, take some time to look at our heart. Is your heart right? One of the things that I, I struggle with is grudges. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's a family tradition. <laughs> it's a family tradition to hold grudges. All the men, the Bergman men, are great at holding grudges. My grandfather was famous for doing that. And unfortunately, his children and great-grandchildren and grandchildren inherited that as well. It's so easy for me to hold a grudge against a family member or um, a, a person at work or a person in the community than it is for me to forgive them. And the reason why is like the issue that I said earlier, I perceive them as the jerk. I perceive that I've been wronged, I can't let go, and I keep rehashing that over and over and over again. And there's been scientific studies that have mentioned that holding grudges actually has negative effects not only on our mental health but our physical health as well because of all of the emotions that we are experiencing and we are reliving that. So we may not have all-out temper tantrums but maybe how we relate to people, maybe how we lead people, maybe how we lead our families, we're not doing the greatest job because we're showing the image of a mansion and not what's really on the inside. So one of the things that, that I'm, I'm trying to learn is I'm trying to learn that I do not have to live that way. I have to look for ways to change my heart. One of the, the things that I, um, I believe is I believe that there is power in prayer. One of the things that I do is I actually have a prayer book, okay? 
Uh, this was inspired to me by the, the movie War Room, but I have a prayer book. And what I do is each day, I not only pray for myself, that I'm a good example, but I also pray for a specific person in my life that I'm having issues with. I pray specifically for good things for that person, and I pray specifically that God would change my heart. It says uh, in one of the Psalms, uh, it does say, renew a right spirit within me. Looking at our heart, whether you believe in God or not, our heart is the key to relationships, the key to good leadership, the key to positive interactions with other people, and the key to change. You know, you're noticing all this turmoil in our country right now. It's because, you know, I have to ask, are our hearts right? So one of the, the ways that we can get our hearts right is, is by letting go. And letting go might mean forgiving. One of the most startling examples that I've come across is of, um, of Eric Fitzgerald in Georgia. Uh, Eric is a, a pastor and um, in the early morning hours of uh, in 2006 a guy named Matt uh, Swartzel was just getting off of his shift as a firefighter in Georgia and it was a long shift for Matt and he fell asleep at the wheel and he hit Eric's wife, June Fitzgerald, he, he hit her car and killed her. And he had a 19-month-old daughter that was injured in that car crash as well. I mean, think about how angry you would be if you were in Eric's position. You lost your wife, your child is injured, you're going to have to raise this child on your own for the rest of your life. And I'm sure he went into his dark place. I'm sure that, that he, he really wanted to, to you know, punish this guy. I'm sure that he could have went on a PR campaign and basically showed a mansion of faith, a mansion of righteousness compared to this guy who killed my wife and you know, he has a shack at best. It's not what he did. See... He said, he actually was quoted as saying, you forgive as you have been forgiven. His faith said, look, you know, I'm a horrible person at times. I'm not going to sit beside uh, that example of saying like, oh yeah, everything's all good in my life. I'm perfect. Um, and posting all those Facebook and social media posts and giving those nice Sunday school answers that, oh yeah, God loves me and you know, this and that. No. He was like, you know what? I make mistakes in my life. This guy's making mistakes in his life. It's horrible what he did. He should suffer the consequences for what he did but I forgive him. And he actually went and uh, asked for leniency for this guy's sentence. But what was even more startling was that Eric and Matt developed a friendship. At first it was over, you know, getting coffee and, and visiting local restaurants um, every once in a while. But now, you know, he, he's mentored Matt. 
And Matt now has moved on in his life, and Eric has moved on in his life as well, but it all started with taking a look at his heart. And that's one of the things that I've really been talking about a lot in my, in my podcast lately, is all this, this idea of, of looking at your heart. Is your heart right? And to be honest with you, mine is not right all the time, and I hold grudges. I am a poor example sometimes of a leader, but you know, here's the thing, is that doesn't necessarily define the rest of my leadership. That doesn't necessarily define that I'm, I'm gonna always be this way. What's great is that I can ask for forgiveness. I can forgive other people. I can take a look at my heart, and when I am having a temper tantrum where I wanna get even with somebody, I can talk to that little kid that's thumbing his nose at the world inside and saying, look, stop, let go, check your heart. And I can allow, um, allow my creator to renew a right spirit within me. So I invite you, look at your heart this week. You know, open the door to that mansion a little bit and allow people to see who you really are. Because you'll be surprised that if you open the door and you say, <laughs> there's bean bags and futons in here, you might have other people that can relate to that. You might have other people in your life that may need to hear that. And you may actually inspire a conversation that would have never happened May would have, may have inspired change that would have never happened without your courage. So be courageous today. Hey, thanks for listening to Conversations in the Paint Department, a humorous and sometimes serious look at the personal, professional, and leadership lessons that I've learned from mistakes and getting a little bit of paint on my face. If you like what you heard, check us out on Spotify or Anchor. You can follow us on Twitter at at MattBergman14. And if you'd like, as an EdTech fan, check out my blog at bergman-udl.blogspot.com.